Therefore, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I love you. today. You know, we have uh, talked for a couple of months now about our building project of completely remodeling the downstairs area to make room for uh, improved mommy room and a family room and a much larger lobby. And uh, we've already moved some children's classes upstairs and using much of the space that once belonged to the daycare here. And God is increasing our children here at Vertical uh, through the number of parents having children and through people coming in and joining the church. Uh, Mike has been running well over 120 in kids' church now for six weeks or longer. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Uh, many weeks... Many weeks, it's over 130 up there from birth all the way through the fourth grade and uh, counting the leaders that are in there as well. So we're grateful for all of that. So we set out in multiple phases to begin preparing for all of this growth and ministry here at Vertical in this downstairs area is phase one of the project. And we announced the goal for that. It was somewhere near 126, 126,000. And uh, I'm excited to report that we are just 5,000 away from meeting that goal. So just keep praying and uh, responding as the Lord would put it on your heart. And uh, I'm believing that that day is coming soon where we can start that project and have a much larger lobby for so many of the events for Sunday mornings. The hallway gets crowded, of course, and there's uh, our youth on Wednesday nights and then events like yesterday here at Vertical, the Fine China event uh, for our young ladies here, moms and, and daughters. A beautiful event, helping moms and daughters connect and understand they have been created as a priceless piece of fine china in the Lord's hand for a purpose, ready to use by the master's hand. So we're grateful for all those opportunities. God continues to free people here at Vertical. I keep hearing stories during the week. I'll get texts, I'll get phone calls, I'll meet with people, and they'll say, hey, here's, I just want to tell you, here's something God has done in my life. And that happened again this week. Someone texted me and said, hey, I have dealt with some health issues for 12 years and didn't realize until just recently that part of those health issues stem back to some deep wounds in my life. And now that I have begun to seek the Lord and him heal my spirit, they say, I am seeing physical health return to my body, what they've tried for 12 years to remove, right? Those stories just keep coming in, and I'm excited about that. I love, as I've said, to hear the fresh stories of what God is doing here in our midst, because we serve a God who is alive. His word is alive. His spirit is alive here in this place today. I love the stories of the past, of things that God has done, but I love even more the stories of what he's doing today. Amen? Right here in our midst.
And the truth is, he wants us to be free. We have not come to a dead religion that binds us with heavy burdens. We have come to a life-giving Jesus who frees us to be able to do what the law actually commanded. To, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's interesting. We've perceived that as a, a command. This is what you have to do. And there's a command to it, but there's actually freedom in that because when you come to the Lord, he gives you a new heart. He frees you, removes the guilt, removes the shame, removes the wall that was between us and heaven so that you actually can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's, so it's not as much this as it is this. It's thank you, Lord, for what you've done, freeing my heart to do that. But Jesus said the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And often that's one of those things we also hear and think, yeah, I got to love my neighbor as myself. Oh, it's so hard. I get it. There's times like that. But it's not as much meant to be this as much as it's meant to be this. Your heart and my heart freed to the point that I'm actually able and desire and want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to do good to those who hurt me. I want to bless those who persecute me. This is, this is the invite of heaven. This is what Jesus has come to free in us so that we're no longer burdened with the chains that keep us enslaved and unable to love others. He wants to truly set us free. And he doesn't do it through just a hard command that he gives us. He comes to do something fresh in us and says, now, the same thing that I've done in you, you do for others. As I have loved you, you now love others. As I have been gracious to you, you now be gracious to others. Not as much this, as much as this. Ephesians 4.32 gives us this truth that permeates and serves as an umbrella for life for us in the New Testament. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, here it is, even as God in Christ forgave you. He's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done for us. That's what a good leader does. A good leader doesn't ask you to do something that he's not first willing to do himself. And this is what our Jesus does. He says, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done. I'm asking you to do the very thing I've done for you already. And the same way that you have been forgiven, he says, out of that, out of the overflow of that, now you turn and be kind and forgiving to one another. That can be tough sometimes, I get it. Because in this world we, we do face hardship, we face unfair treatment, wounds, offenses. Jesus said all of those will come. But you and I have not been given the responsibility to make sure that those who hurt us hurt in return. That's not our call. You and I are not God. You and I are called to not hold on to those chains 
of making sure someone else pays for what they did to us, you and I are called to drop the chains and let Jesus be Lord over the situation. Now that is where the rub comes in, right? Because there's something so tempting about wanting to hold on to those chains. I want to hurt those who hurt me. It's kind of the natural feel we all have. I want to make sure I get them back for what they did to me with a little bit of interest in return. Hello. You know what I'm talking about? So our message today is called Drop the Chains. And we're going to see how we apply all of this into our life. How do we walk in such freedom that there's actually true release and freedom to love those who have even hurt us and to forgive them? Turn your Bibles today to Matthew 18. We'll be looking at the words of Jesus. And I stepped on my shoestring, so I'm going to fix this for a second here while y'all turn in your Bible here. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Jesus is going to tell a story to help us understand and live this out. This is real life stuff. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't dismiss the fact that there are hurts that come. Jesus doesn't say, suck it up, buttercup. It's gonna go, it's gonna happen anyway. You just have to do this. Jesus doesn't say, fake it till you make it. Just do this and come on, put a smile on your face and move along. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He gives us real life truth to help us when we have been hurt, wounded, taken advantage of, right? Real life truth. Matthew 18, verse 21, where we begin. Let me just say one more thing. This is vertical, so we're talking about real life stuff, right? This truth today applies so much in our lives and to the lives of everybody in this community and area because we have all experienced pain. There are people who have walked through infidelity in marriage. That's painful. There are people who have walked through divorce. There are people who have walked through betrayal from a person they once trusted and loved. There are those who have suffered at the hands of emotional abuse, mental abuse, even physical abuse. There are those who are being taken advantage of, who are being mistreated, and who have been hurt repeatedly. This truth today applies to every one of those situations and more. This is not an unrelated truth. It gets right up into the heart of where we live. Amen? Are we willing to walk forward and see what Jesus has to say? Matthew 18, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter's usually the guy who's the first one to speak of the disciples. Peter's usually the guy who wants to make a good impression, and here he is doing that. Hey, Jesus, so what about when people offend me, and how often should I forgive them? And Peter's thinking he's going to reach this number that's going to make him look pretty cool amongst the group. Seven times, Lord? I mean, that's a big number. It's a lot of, it's a lot of offenses. Is it seven times we just keep forgiving? What do we, what do, we do here? Peter's asking, but Peter's kind of making a little point here. I'm pretty cool. I'm, up to, I'm willing to do this seven times. It says, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus was not giving a limitation of 490 upon the number of offenses that come that we forgive. 
Jesus was saying, Peter, you're so missing it right now, dude. It's so much more than that. And I'll, I'll, I'll see your seven and I'll 70 times that seven as a way of just upping the game here, up the standard here and say what I'm really trying to say. And Jesus knew that was hitting the disciples and us between the eyes like, oh, I don't know, Jesus, you're going to have to help me out here with a story. I need something to help illustrate this for me. I don't know about this whole thing about someone offends me and I just keep forgiving them. Someone takes advantage of me and I just keep forgiving them. Do I just keep letting that go? Do I just keep, keep, keep on forgiving? Jesus said in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus is saying, hey, in the kingdom, in the, in the realm that I have come to establish, so here's what life looks like in the kingdom of God. He says, it's like a king, it's like a king who comes to settle accounts with his servants. So this king is a good king and he has servants and he's given them responsibilities and tasks and opportunities and there comes a day when this king says, hey, it's time to settle up on the accounts. It's time to see where we all stand. Come on in. Let me see how many sales you made this week. Let me see how much you owe. Let me see how much we owe you. All this. He calls them all in to settle accounts. Verse 24, it says, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Hmm. He's settling accounts. One man is found to owe quite a bit. He's had some responsibilities and he's had some opportunities to profit for the sake of the king. But the king says, hmm, this man, he owes a lot. Now, 10,000 talents, that's not necessarily a monetary exchange that we deal in here of talents, but in the New Testament, it was understood that a talent was an amount of money. It wasn't so much a coin. It wasn't so much a, a bill that we might be accustomed to. But a talent was equivalent to almost 30 years of common labor pay. That's a lot. 30 years. So if we try to bring that forward into just base hourly pay, if we just said 725 an hour times a full week of 40 hours times 30 years, this number is going to jump on up there. You think, you think about 10,000 times that, that number in the rate of exchange for us today comes to $5 billion or $5,220,000,000 to be exact. Now, we can't even fathom that kind of number. A billion is kind of more than we can even take in to begin with, much less five billion, 220 million. This man had a lot of responsibility, had been given a lot, had a lot of opportunity to do well for the king, and somehow along the way he had squandered it, so much so that he found himself owing the king this five billion dollars. 30 years of labor, 10,000 times that. It's an unbelievable number that could never, ever be repaid by any one individual. It's an exceedingly vast number. And Jesus does this on purpose because you and I, by our sin, our guilt, and our shame, could never pay that back on our own and gain a right standing with the King of Heaven. That's kind of the point already. 
This number is vast. This number is massive. And you, on your own, could never, ever repay it. And Jesus puts it into some business terms here that people of his day could understand. And it puts us in some realms today where all of a sudden, can you imagine, the credit card bill comes in. And it's $5 billion. That would be a sad situation. Clearly, this man had squandered opportunities that were in front of him. Clearly, this man had failed at his responsibility for earning for the king. Clearly, this man had fallen short of the glory of the king. Clearly, this man had not been responsible, and now he had this massive, massive debt hanging over his head. Jesus said in verse 25, but as he was not able to pay... His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The debt's so big, the king didn't say, get back out there and get to work and I better see some improvement this week. The king knew there was no way. So he said, sell him off, sell his wife, sell his children as slaves so that some payment can be made. That's how vast the debt was. It would affect him, his wife, his children, and it would still not be enough. The story goes on in verse 26, and it says that the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now that we know what the story is about, it kind of makes this dude look pretty foolish. Just give me some time. Just be patient with me. I can pay all of this back. Really? You're going to make up $5 billion $220 million. You that good? You that strong? You that great that you can go make that much money and come pay me back? But this is what he says. Master, have patience. I will pay you all. Now, we kind of get a picture of this man's real problem here. It's all about him. I can do this. I don't need any help. I don't even need your mercy. I just need your patience. I can do this. This man is in a position where he owes the king. This man is in a position where now everybody he knows becomes a need to get some money. When you think you owe the king and when you think everybody else owes you, the last thing that you are is free. You can't be free to love the king if you think you owe the king. I'm going to say that one more time. You can't be free to love the king if you think you owe the king. If somehow you think that you are going to pay off to God the debt of what you have done wrong in your life, I can tell you right now, you are not free to love the king. Because you can't love when you're a slave. You can't love when you're in debt. The only time you're going to love is when you realize you've been set free from the debt you owed. That's important. But you also can't be free to love other people if you think they all owe you something. If somehow you got everybody 
pigeonholed as someone who owes you something because you're keeping up with all that they've done to you and you're going to make sure they pay you for what they did to you. You are not free to love them. You can't be the one who loves your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is putting it all out there, telling a story about a man who was not free. Verse 27, it says, Then the master of, the, of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. He didn't say, all right, I'll give you one more month and I'll lower the interest rate on this deal. That's not what happened. He didn't say, all right, I'll give you an extension and we'll just see how it goes. Not what he said. He didn't say, hey, you want to take out another loan at 0% for the first six months. Then after that, it's going to jump to 20%. He didn't say any of that. He said, here's what I'm going to do for you. Because you have asked, I am going to completely remove the debt. I am going to clear it. It will be zero. You will owe me nothing. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have to bring me anything. I am completely releasing you of $5,220,000,000 that you owe me. Mm. What that ought to do in someone's heart, being re released from all of that burden, would cause you to say, thank you, thank you, and forever love that man. Amen? That's what ought to happen. It would free you to love that man that you once owed, and it would free you to no longer see the people around you as people who owe you. It would change you. You would relate differently horizontally because the one you know vertically had changed you. That's the way it's supposed to work. Verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, how much is that? A denarii was one day's wages. If you were just a common laborer and you worked a one full day of work, you would receive a denarii. So in today's numbers, take 725 an hour times eight hours is $58. 100 of those would be 580 dollars. Is that right? Fifty eight hundred dollars. Thank you. Fifty eight hundred dollars. Five thousand eight hundred dollars. As opposed to five million two hundred twenty million five billion two hundred twenty million dollars. This man found someone who owed him five thousand eight hundred dollars. Now this is a pretty powerful moment. This is the moment that he should have said, you owed me five thousand eight hundred dollars, but look here, I've been forgiven five billion two hundred twenty million dollars, and so I'm going to do for you what was done for me. 
The second part of 28 says this. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. Wow. He did not do horizontally what had been done for him vertically. He instead chose to choke this man and say, pay me what you owe me. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. You would think in that moment he would have heard his own words before the master. You would have thought in that moment he would have replayed all of that and thought, this is my moment to be gracious. Verse 30, and he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now that's a pretty useless thing to do to throw the man in prison who owes you some money because that man can't work if he's put in prison. That man can't ever pay off if he's trapped. That man can't pay you back if he's bound up. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. So in other words, the man who had forgiven him $5,220,000,000 called him back in and said, dude, I heard what you did. You have a wicked heart. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Shouldn't you have done for him what I did for you? Verse 34, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Interesting. This man who would not forgive $5,000, though he had been forgiven $5 billion, had a hard heart. And the master said, now you are going to be delivered over to the hand of the torturers or those who torment, those who had the responsibility of making someone's life filled with pain, trouble, until they finally came to the place of brokenness, tormentors. He said, and that's going to be your life until that man pays you. Mm. That's a very difficult situation because that man was in prison. He couldn't work. And now this man is about to be given over not just to prison, but the tormentors. He is going to have torment working in his life until he gets to the place of brokenness. And what's interesting is that man that was in prison is never going to be able to earn his money because he's in prison to pay him back. But this man's going to stay in prison until that man pays him back. It's a pretty hopeless situation. They're both stuck, locked up. They're both stuck 
in bondage. This man holding that man responsible. You owe me. You pay me. How does that ever end? How does that situation change? Because he can't ever pay him. And this man's so mad. And he's being tormented. He's going to be tormented until that money is paid back. Not the five billion. That's been cleared. The 5,000 that owed him, that was owed to him. How could he ever be free? There's only one way. If this man would have said, I forgive you of the debt of $5,000 you owe me, you can go free. If he could have gone free, then this man could have gone free. And everybody could have walked out free. They would have loved the master. He would have loved him. And he would have loved him in return. But as it was, this man was caught in prison, being tormented. Now, this is where Jesus draws the point. Everybody's bought into the story, just as we all are in this moment right here. And then Jesus says this in verse 35. So, my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Woo, hold up, Jesus. I got to take all this in. There's a lot happening here. You're saying, I have been forgiven by the king a massive debt. Yes, and now there are people who offend me and take advantage of me and I lose on their account. And you're, you're asking me to release them in the same way the King Jesus, you've released me, yes. And if you do not, if you hold them in prison, if you hold them owing you and you live as though they owe you and they owe you and they owe you and they owe you, everybody owes me, then you open yourself up to the role of tormentors in your life. Tormentors, who is that? Is that the debt collection agencies that come after me? It's kind of like that, but these are spiritual debt collectors. You open yourself up to a dark realm of evil influence and attack in your life. When you choose not to forgive and you hold on to grudge, bitterness, hatred, resentment, and you choose to make other people pay, you have just opened yourself up and said, hey, come on, tormentors. And they will all converge on your life and begin to torment you. If you've ever walked in that kind of bitterness, you, you know what I'm talking about. You begin to live where you just cannot get past what was done to you. You're reminded of the pain. You're affected by the pain. You're controlled by the pain. You replay what they did, and you think of how much you want to make them pay. Torment. Torment. You know, the thing about torment is... And it affects every part of who we are. It hurts. It stays with us. It's that moment when you and I think, I am going to personally make sure they 
suffer for what they did to me. It is I am taking the responsibility of making sure they pay. I make it my goal to hurt those who have sinned against me. This is you and I remembering that sin, remembering the pain of it, remembering what they said, remembering what they did. In that moment, you and I are taking their sin and we're taking it into our hearts. I'm taking their sin against me and I'm taking hold of it in my heart. No one except Jesus has the ability or power to take sin on them and release and forgive. That is what Jesus did at the cross. Your sin was placed on him and he took it, paid for it, and freed us. If you think you can take the sins committed against you and hold on to them and become the one who makes people pay for what they did to you, you are bearing a burden that no individual can ever, ever have the power to carry. You can't. That's why Jesus said that man will live in torment. Now, I want to illustrate that today um, like we like to do here at Verticals. Let me have Michael and Kyle come up. I asked them ahead of time what we're going to do here. So let's imagine that uh, one of these guys is, uh, is the offended guy. We'll let... <laughs> offended at this guy, right? All right, we'll let him be the offender. So take all of this and hold it because you have the weight now making sure he pays. And let's just hook him up good here so that you make sure he pays. Because this is what happens. When someone wounds us, we think, man, I'm going to make them pay and I want to keep them. Sorry, Michael. It's tough holding people in bondage. There we go. So now this dude, he hurts you, so now you're going to make him pay. You want to make sure that he pays. So here's the deal. Michael, try to walk away from Kyle, even though he has offended you. Just go ahead and turn around. It's like walk off like, who cares about this dude? You see, well, yeah, just keep going. Just keep going because who cares about that guy? What? Yeah, keep going. See, it, you see what happens is when you hold someone, yeah, keep going. Just get on, get on, go off that stage. If you hold someone in prison, you can't go anywhere because you're so concerned about keeping up with them all the time. You can't, you can't see what's ahead in your life because you're so concerned about what's behind your life. You're so wrapped up in what he did to you, you can't even focus. You're not even interested in getting any new friends because you're so wrapped up in the pain of what this friend did to you. When you're in prison, you isolate. When you're in prison, you focus on your pain. When you're in prison, you want to make sure they pay. 
Now, Michael, just keep on trying to go. Just keep on trying. Kyle, do something. You can't just keep following this guy. Give him some leash or something, right? I mean, you've got, you've got a wife and kids. Let him go a little bit. Just let go of a little bit. Of, just give him some leash, maybe. Yeah, just, yeah, let him have a little bit of leash. I mean, move on. Come on. You, go to, you come to church. Let that man go. You know, have a little bit of decency for this guy. And that happens sometimes. We'll, okay, I'm going I'm to let this person have some space in my life. I don't need them around anymore. But you keep that chain. You keep that connection. You keep up with them. You check social media every once in a while just to see what's going on in their life. Just to see enough where you can make sure you make the right dig at the right time if you need to say something in the right moment to make them pay because it is your responsibility, you're convinced, to be the one to make them pay. Now, did he do something wrong? Yes. Will there be something he has to pay for that? Yes. Could it be that God would forgive him? Yes. How will that ever happen? Only if he decides to drop the chain. Because when you have someone you're holding in debt, the tormentors come to work in your life. And the tormentors affect every part of you. You guys just stay right here for just a moment. Because I want to go through quickly here what it's like when the tormentors come to work in your life. They begin to affect every area of your life. And the first area they start to affect is your own mind and your own emotions. Check out these. You might want to take a picture of these. I'm not going to stay long on these. They begin to affect you mentally and emotionally. You start experiencing personal rejection in your life. You start dealing with insecurity in your life. You start dealing with comparison in your life. Say, so how come no one else is suffering like I am? How come they seem to be making it fine in life without going into the troubles that I'm going through? How come they seem to be prospering and I'm not? How come they have this and I don't? And all of a sudden, this anger just takes over your life because you've got to carry this chain. You've got to keep up with him. You've got to make him pay. And pretty soon, he's not the only one in bondage. You're the one in bondage. You're being tormented. You deal with insecurity. So much so that I put up here twice on the screen. How about that? And you're in this pain replay mode. You just keep replaying what was done. You just keep remembering how they said it, where you were, what it was like, what you felt like, and you just keep rehearsing it because as far as you're concerned, it's your responsibility to make sure they pay because you have somehow believed that if you don't, no one else will. And you have forgotten that there was a God who sees and knows all things. It's not up to you and I to make sure someone pays. It's up to you and I to release them to God for him to do with what he will do. You and I are not God. Amen? It will also bring torment into other areas of your life. Soon you'll notice some relational torment this stuff starts playing out in relationships. You end up being withdrawn. You start pulling away from other people because you know if this, is, if this is what it's about, if this is life right here, why would you want to have more relationships? You ain't got enough chain for all that stuff. You ain't got enough time for all that stuff. You don't have enough energy to keep up with all that. So you start isolating. You start pulling away from people. You become critical of everybody. You become critical of them, but you become critical just of life in general. 
of people in general. You become argumentative because, boy, you got to prove your point. You got an edge. You got a grudge. You got a point to prove. You got to make some people pay. It was first him, and now it's them, and now it's them, and now it's them, and you got a list, and you'll become all of a sudden real sarcastic in your language. He just comes out in your tone. You got the right dig, you got the right word, you got the right punchline to make someone pay because that's what you're all about is pay. Everybody pay, pay up. You forgot you were forgiven five billion and you get all caught up in 5,000 and you become resentful, you become vindictive. I gotta make them pay. So emotional, mental, relational, but it also plays out even in your behavior. It starts showing up in how you live. You start becoming uncontrolled. You kind of out of whack inside. And so it's showing up, then you're out of whack outside. You're tormented by all the pain. You're tormented by all the hurt. And you're tormented now because you start picking up behaviors that are out of control. You start drinking. You start drugs. You start whatever you need. Your mouth is out of control. Your life is out of control. You're chasing relief because, man, it hurts. You're being tormented on the inside. You start avoiding church, avoiding God situations, avoiding spiritual conversations. The addiction is much for you. The immorality is just starting to peak and spiral for you. You're out of control, and the anger is still just raging, and you're starting to show up, and people are starting to notice. It affects you, but it also affects you finally physically. Just as we've seen throughout this whole series, there is a cost for every part of who we are whenever we are not free. And there are documented, scientifically researched, and clearly understood factors for our physical health when we hold on to spiritual resentment and bitterness. You start having heart issues because your heart is racing. There are chemical changes that happen in you because you're allowing resentment and anger and bitterness to take hold. You start having blood pressure issues. I'm not saying everybody who has blood pressure issues has bitterness, but I am saying if you have bitterness, you most likely will have some blood pressure issues. Do you hear me? You start dealing with anxiety and stress. You start having low immunity because your body is working overtime to try to care for all of these hormones that are going on and all of this stuff trying to deal with pressure inside and you find yourself sick with anything that comes around. You start having sleep issues and you deal with fatigue. Your body is absolutely worn out. Could be indicators that you are holding someone captive in prison and the last thing that you are in this moment is free. You can't love God and you're having a really hard time loving your neighbor as yourself. So what does Kyle need to do here? I mean, he's got a hold of him and he's kind of wrapped up in his own chains. This is just life for him. Come on back over, Michael, because what needs to happen is there needs to be some kind of interaction here where Kyle intentionally says, I'm going to drop the chain and let him go. When that happens, now... Kyle is free to go where he wants to love the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and love his neighbor as himself. 
And now Michael is able to say, wow, I've been forgiven. I'm able to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Amen? Hey, give these guys a hand. Thank you all very much. Yeah, thank you. Drop that on there. It's a powerful picture that Jesus gives us and it's what he invites us to, to drop the chains, to come to a place where we say, all right, I do have some people in my life that I have been set on making them pay, making them hurt for how they hurt me. It's time to drop the chains because that's what Jesus did for you. He forgave you so much more. Why are you holding them in debt? It's time to drop the chains because it's not your responsibility to make them pay. God says, vengeance is mine, not yours. He knows far more than we do. He knows what's needed in any situation. He'll, he'll see that they experience what they need to experience, whether it is his hand of consequences or of grace to free them. It's time to drop the chains because you're tired of living under the tormentors. You're tired of living under the weight. You're tired of living trying to keep up with everybody's offenses and carry their sin in you. It's killing you. It's time to drop the chains. And finally, it's time to drop the chains because you and I are not God. We have come to Jesus and said, you are Lord. And if he is Lord over all, then this area we can release to him as well and say, Jesus, I trust you in every area of my life and I'll trust you to protect my heart and do what you need to do in their life. I will not be the one who makes sure they pay because that's killing me and it's keeping me from being free with you and keeping me from being free to love my neighbor as myself. Amen? Rich truth from Jesus today that walks right up into the center of our lives. Now, I'm sure you may have questions. Feel free to use the app in the church center uh, app to send your questions in. We'll talk about those. Uh, I won't use your name, but we'll address those either in our podcast or I'll use them as part of what we talk about on Sunday morning because this is an area that God has called us to be equally as free. Amen? And there's power when there's freedom in the church. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that while we have been the ones who offended you, stole from you, you were the one who came and did the unthinkable. You took the debt upon yourself to forgive us, to free us. I pray that we would have 
the power of your spirit to do for others what you have done for us and to let them go. Let them go not into just emptiness, but let them go into your hands. Let them go from us having to be the one who brings about the payment, the justice. Let them go so you can have your way in them. Let them go so you can have your way in us. Let them go so that we can see all that you have for us and move on into it. I pray that would be true for us that within this church, we would begin to hear even miraculous stories of freedom and release and healing and restoration and chains that come because we were willing to take our hands off the matter, trust you fully and release them so that we would no longer be bound. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts now that we might respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.